suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, here we are, dear listener, sitting at the top of mound, looking around, observing the world. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist, with me as always, Scott the Velvet Glove, calling in from regional Queensland. How are you, Scott? Good, thanks, Trevor. G'day, Joe. G'day, listeners. How are you all? We're all good. And Excellent. Joe, the tech guy, is back again. Good on you, Joe. Evening all. So, dear listener, what have we got on the agenda? Mishmash of different topics. We'll talk about the coronation. That was interesting. We've got, oh, we've got budget tonight. We'll talk a bit about that. And a little bit about Alan Joyce and Qantas and Morrison leaving to join potentially some sort of foreign company as a, as a policy expert and no doubt as some sort of, oh, what do they call them, lobbyist, a few bits and pieces like that. So, yeah, Scott, yes. Coronation. Yes. You didn't actually, you watched it, but you... you I watched sort it of, between watching everything else, you know, as I got mm. bored with the other television, that sort of stuff, I flicked back over just to have a look at it. Yep. You know, I'm sure if I was British, like my friend over in Wales, you know, she went down to London to, I don't know, she didn't camp out or anything like that, but she throw was rocks? on the side of the street. And no, she didn't throw rocks at him or anything like that. She did go over there and have a look at it, but that was about as far as she got, I believe. Yeah. You know, <laughs> if I was British, I'd probably have a very different opinion, but well, because I'm Australian. You've been a member of the Republican yeah. Movement for a long time. Ever since well, I've known you, it's one of your key things is secularism and the Republic. Yeah, it is. You know, I was very much a quiet Republican for a long time until Tony Abbott knighted Prince <laughs> Edward, Prince Bill Philip. The Greek. <laughs> and that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I thought to myself, <laughs> fuck you, buddy. <laughs> I joined the ARM that night. And, you know, that was it. <laughs> I well, I reckon, I reckon the coronation is, is, is good for your cause, our cause, because obviously I'm in favour of a Republican. Uh, Joe, I'm sure you are as well. I, um, I'm waiting for it to hear a good model that is better than what we've got. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll get well into that, but... I think that the, the latest model that has been put forward by the Republican movement is a damn sight better than what we've currently got, and it's a hell of a lot better than what was put up and failed in 1999. Yes. So this you is know. the model where they say, well, the, you want a republic and we'll work out later what, what type of republic. No. Of a, and a, whether we elect the president or whether we were, parliament the, elects the, the, the thing president. is we will, we will elect the president, but right. the nominations are going to come from parliaments. So they, they're going to come from, there'll be a nomination from each state government and the federal government will be able to nominate a presidential nominee. Then after that, we're going to vote on it. Ah, so what's that's the, the president current... going to do? Sorry? What's the president going to do? Everything the current governor, governor general, general does. does. Yeah. Okay. So if political figurehead with the, the ability yes. to do the royal assent and dissolve parliament. And nothing. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, so it's the official it, position, is it, of the Republican movement at the moment? Yes, it is. So, yeah. oh, okay. I didn't know that. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's the official position because they actually listened to, you know, there was the last president of the Republican movement whose name escapes me. He's a journalist and all that sort of thing. Can't think what his name is. Oh, Fitzsimmons. Yes, Fitzsimmons. He was, he was at a thing one night and he said that, that he said that he was approached by a bloke who said that, uh, he said that the only way you're ever going to get this across is if you give us the final say on it. Mm. I thought to myself, yep. He's hit the nail right on the head there. And that's where they went away and they thought about it and that sort of stuff. So they have come up with a compromise model where parliament will be able to come up with the nominations and then these people will be voted on by the public. 
Yeah. Well, I reckon the coronation ceremony would have been a, a boost for the Republican oh, Sure. Movement. Absolutely, because mm. it was a joke. Mm. You know, think- and that, that thing where they asked us all to swear allegiance to him and all that sort of shit, I mean, good Lord, no. Yes. No, I was not going to swear allegiance to him. You know, mm. he should have been swearing allegiance to us, but he didn't. Yes. Apparently, yeah. there was this, okay, I was listening to this, this guy on Twitter who was a broadcaster and sort of friend of Prince Charles who's saying that that, that call by the archbishop where he was in the days leading up to the coronation encouraging people to stand up and and verbally announce their allegiance the way yeah. he did, that that was probably not what Charles wanted because he said that Charles isn't the sort of guy who wants people paying homage to him. Swear their fealty. Yes, that that's not his style. And actually, I've got a bit of a clip here. So let me, let me play a little bit of this. I won't play the whole thing, but this will give you a bit of a feel for it. I can think of nothing that he would find more abhorrent. He's never wanted to be revered. He's never wanted, so far as I know, to have anyone pay homage to him except in mock terms as a joke. He, he wants, I think, to feel that people will share in the event. And I don't quite know how this might have happened. I, I, I don't know for certain, but it would seem to me that this was a, a, an initiative by the Archbishop, who, as we know, is strongly evangelical, who thought it would be a good thing to give everyone a chance to pay that homage. I thought that was interesting. I was going to say, I thought, the... when you said it was a friend, I thought Dimbleby, because he's been interviewed in the past and he was asked what he thought of Charles as a possible king. And right. he said, look, whilst he's the heir to the throne, he can be a little divisive. He can make these grand pronouncements. He realizes that when he's a monarch, he has to rule for the whole kingdom and he will settle down. Right. So it's interesting that it's Dimbleby again, mm. who he's respected actually in the UK. There you go. So, so the interesting part about that is he's laying the blame with the archbishop who he then described as everyone knows he's an evangelical. <laughs> so that's the thing that struck me about this ceremony was how religious it was. Yeah. And, and that really, you know, that the church considered itself in charge of this coronation because mm-hmm. it was a church service ceremony, the whole purpose of it. So, so yeah, that all makes sense that probably Charles didn't want that sort of thing and this idiot archbishop mouths off because he's in charge of the rock show and Wait, telling people. You know people the archbishop still ideas. have 12 seats in the House of Lords. Well, there you go. Yes. Why not? I mean. Yeah, why not? There was a... It was described on Twitter that I need, you know, to go outside of the United Kingdom to find parliamentary representatives who are also of a religious faith. You have to find, you have to go to the Repu- Islamic Republic of Iran. Mm. Yeah. You know? So, uh, Brahman in the, hello, Brahman in the chat room. Hello, Anne and John and Noisy Andrew and Don who are there and Roman makes the point that I was just about to get to, that the coronation was actually a religious service as it's about the monarch being anointed by God. And there was an article in the ABC by a guy called Ian Bradley who said that God saved the king, the religious significance of the coronation and its symbolism. Coronations point to the sacred nature of the United Kingdom monarchy. Packed with religious symbolism and imagery, they exude mystery, bind together church and state through the person of the monarch and clearly proclaim the derivation of all power and authority from God and the Christian basis on which government is exercised and justice administered. Coronations are religious services rather than constitutional ceremonies. The coronation on the 6th of May does not make Charles III king. That happened on the death of his mother and his reign was formally inaugurated at the accession council held two days later. At his coronation, he will be anointed, consecrated, and blessed, as well as crowned. 
And when you, you know, the bits I saw of the ceremony, that was certainly the case. It was a highly religious ceremony and it was an anointing of the monarch by the church. Yeah. Which was really quite repulsive, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and surely would help the Republican cause as people look at it and go, really? Yeah, exactly. And that is, that is the, that was the overwhelming opinion that was coming, particularly from the younger people within the, within the Republican movement. You could see mm. they were just shaking their head and, you know, exactly what you said. Really? It's, it's interesting because in the past he's espoused Islam. Yeah, I know. Uh, okay. He, he says, wants to be the defender of all faiths, not just the, yeah. the faith. So, so I, I think I can understand that he wouldn't be very happy that a single faith would take over that, even though, you know, he is the head of the Anglican church. Mm. Yes. So, so he's bound by a lot of things like everybody else. Some of the stuff, I was sort of texting a friend and just sort of poo-pooing the whole ceremony there at one stage. They kept handing him these relics and trinkets and oh, bits the, and pieces. the holy hand grenade of Antioch. Everything but. That's right. Oh, no, so there's been lots of memes going around on Twitter yes. with the holy hand grenade of Antioch. Yeah. And yeah. then somebody wandering, a, a woman wandering down with a large sword and yes. going, women waving swords around is no basis of government. So there's been lots of Monty Python quotes. There has been lots of Monty Python. I'm going to do one in a minute as well. Right. But things that I, you know, like in a sort of a 10-minute span that I was, maybe it was a bit longer, he was handed a sword, a plate, some gloves, cloak, some cuffs, an orb, a ring, and a scepter. And all these things were ceremoniously handed to him and the commentator was giving a bit of a blurb on what each item was and then they were taken away. And yeah, it was all part of the wackiness of the whole show. Really, in terms of entertainment, I much preferred the Queen's funeral, I have to say. That sounds Too soon? Too soon? It's one of those, I didn't I, see I'm the sure Queen's funeral. I'm sure Phil the Greek would have said that. Yeah. Sorry? So I'm sure Phil the Greek would have made some comment. No. Mm. I didn't yeah. see the Queen's funeral because I just thought to myself, I don't really need to, you know. Yeah. You know, she was an exceptional monarch and all that sort of stuff, but she's dead now. So I just think to myself, it's time for us to move on. Mm. You know, yeah. yes. you know, she was a very good monarch. There's no doubt about that, but it's time for us to move on. You know? Yeah. I still think it should have gone straight to Will. Child of the Saint Diana. Mm. But why was the Queen such a good monarch? Because of her successful breeding of of a wonderful no, no because family. of her family or anything like that. Her, her family really... is pretty much nuts. Nuts. Yes, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But yep. she was. Don't blame her for her kids. They were just yeah. There's that. Yeah. But she she did actually hold the thing together very well. But. I just think to myself, it's time for us to move on now, you know, mm. and I just think to, if you actually really want an opinion, I can't really give you one. It's just a vibe of the thing. I think she, she was, she was very good monarch and that sort of thing, but. Can when I tell she, you her best comment? What's that? After the financial crisis in 2008, yeah. she, she said to the, to different people, why didn't any of you people see this happening? Like, isn't, wasn't it somebody's job to see this coming? Why didn't any of you economists see this about to happen? Maybe later. Comment, really. Yeah. So she was sort of, that was her best comment, I think. Looking at the financial crisis and saying, somebody's stuffed up here. Somebody should have seen this. Something as large as this. What were you guys doing? Well, so, there's that. And, you know, you know, she was certainly right about the Icelandic banks and that type of thing. Mm. You know. Joe, what can you tell me, Joe, about Telts? Celtic people, Celts? They were the original inhabitants of Britain. Right. And they were pushed out by the Angles and Saxons who invaded. Yep. And then by the Normans. Yep. And so they are effectively the people of Scotland, Ireland, and Brittany in France. Right. Yep. And, oh, and Cornwall. 
right, and a strong affiliation with Ireland, sort of the Irish? Or? Well, so yeah. the, the Celts are the Britannic people, some of whom ended up in Ireland, but also yeah. Scotland and also down into Brittany in France. Right. Is there any particular reason why they would be anti-monarchy? The Irish would be, yes. Yes. And the Scottish again. Right. Be- because they're an English monarch. Yes. Okay. And, and so this well, are, that's not exactly were, true because James I of Scotland was appointed to become the the English king by Elizabeth I on well, when she, she died. died and, yeah. She died. And she left. She left him the the role the role of king. So did she leave it to him, or was he just next in line? I don't know about that, but it's one of the things that was very amusing at the time because they said that you know for centuries it had a a an English crown presiding over a Scottish Parliament. Now we've got a Scottish king presiding over an English Parliament. So mm. you know. Well, so, anyway. Yes, go on. At a Celtic football match, mm-hmm. uh, this is what they had to say about the coronation. In case it wasn't absolutely clear that they were singing, you can shove your coronation up your ass. Sorry, what? <laughs> Football stadium full of people giving it's like opinion. the Easter Rising all over again. Mm. Brahmin, another interesting factoid I discovered about coronations is that among the European monarchies, the UK is the only one that holds such a service to crown the monarch. This is because the other European monarchs are not the heads of their established churches. E.g. when Queen Margaret of Denmark became queen, she was proclaimed monarch by the Danish Prime Minister. There was no coronation. There we really? go. They missed out on all that royal tourism as a result, perhaps. All right. And what else did I have here? One other thing. Oh, just last week, of course, I was banging on about the book and the book review, Not So Black and White. And as you know, dear listener, for me, it was all about class. That's the thing that we should be concentrating on. And, uh, and here's a mix, mixing up of coronation and class in one short clip. Well, we all are. We are all Britons. And I am your king. Didn't know we had a king. I thought we were an autonomous collective. You're fooling yourself. We're living in a dictatorship. A self-perpetuating autocracy in which the working classes... Oh, there you go, bringing class into it again. Well, that's what it's all about. If only people were... Please. You're like one of those peasants in the mud, just bringing up class. Yeah, <laughs> all the time, banging on about it. There you go, a class. I thought that was very interesting. What you're actually saying in that book review. Now, I didn't realise that. I knew that the class was a big issue for Martin Luther King. I didn't realise it was such a big issue for Malcolm X. Mm. So, it's one of those things. It's just I've got to go back and read more about it. Yeah, it was interesting. So, yeah, very interesting. I think people enjoyed that one. Lots of big ideas in that episode. Perhaps not so many big ideas in this episode, as we're left to our own devices. No, we're just um, bagging the monarchy now, right now. Yeah, that's right. Let me see. What else do we have here? So that was that. Oh, just the only other thing is, I saw this tweet by Solo Monk, which was, we're not interested in an old man who has waited his whole life to have a crown put on his head because that is his apparent birthright nor do we want to swear any sort of allegiance. Utter anachronistic, anachronistic? Have I anachronistic. Thank you. Anachronistic nonsense that has no place in modern Australia. Speaking of birthright, anyone want to talk about the voice? <laughs> I mean, what is birthright? But I, I, was, I was watching the Mariam Margulies Almost an Australian, and she goes and interviews Lydia Thorpe. Right. She's Professor Sprout from the Harry Potter English oh, actress, yeah. Jewish lesbian, who became an Australian citizen back in Julie Gillard's day. Right. And has decided she's going to do a docuseries driving around Australia in a camper van, okay. finding out what it means to be an Australian. And, and talking to Lydia Thorpe. And yeah, the more I see of that woman, the less Lydia impressed Thorpe. I am. 
Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She's she looks a little unhinged, doesn't she? Yes. Just, just a birthright is the concept of things being due to a person upon or by fact of their birth or due to the order of their birth. These may include rights of citizenship based on the place where the person was born or the citizenship of their parents and inheritance rights to property owned by parents or others. This strikes me that a lot of the voice argument relies on birthright concepts being legitimate and the very people who would poo-poo the monarchy for its promotion of birthright don't recognise that there's a birthright issue there. So, Do they or do they just poo-poo it because it was a colonial system? Now, all sorts of reasons, but certainly I can see that there's an issue there, but I seem to be alone on that. Scott. Yes. Budget. Tonight, as we speak, perhaps the Treasurer is making some comment about how the figures are adding up for the government's budget, probably back in black, meaning the government will collect more than it spends, at least this year, and probably will not reverse the stage three tax cuts. Is, is this a, it seems to be the, Somebody in the chat room, if it turns out that they've actually reversed the, the, the stage three t tax cuts, let us know. But it seems highly unlikely that that was going to happen. It does seem highly unlikely. It's, uh, it's very disappointing that mm -hmm. they appear to be doing that, but it does seem highly unlikely that they're going to reverse it. I honestly believed that they would actually, at the very least, substantially change them, but apparently not. Because is, they sorry. must be, they must be seeing exactly what we've seen. Like in a couple of weeks ago, that took my breath away where it was all in that one, one graph, which showed that people under $65,000 a year were going to go backwards and anyone mm. over $120,000 a year was going to go forward. And then people earning $200,000 a year were going to go forward by $9,000 a year. Yeah. You know? That was really crook. I mean, we change parties in this country, but we get mostly the same policies, but with Labor, you get less interest in bedroom activities. Mm. Yeah, it's shit, shit and shit light parties, aren't they? Really? Like this yeah, I know what you're saying, but it's, I, it's I, couldn't, I couldn't vote for the Greens, you know, because you'd end up with a... Because they say yes to the voice. No, not because they say yes to the voice, because I'm still on the, vo I'm still yes on the voice, but they're just lunatics. Like, you know, they actually, they actually want to do away with coal and gas immediately. Now that is crazy, you know, because you just got to Gladstone, that sort of stuff. You can see all the, the ships that are lined up, ready to take our coal over back to their own countries. If they were to do that, then they would darken a significant portion of humanity. Was, was there, was there policy to close coal mines and no, gas it was, mines it was straight to, away? It was to do away with, it was to do away with any new coal and gas mines. Well, then that's different to, to what you just said, Scott. Okay. Like, fair enough. That's, I that's apologize. Not, that's yeah. Okay. They were going to do away with new coal and gas mines, mm. which I think is crazy. Didn't they possibly sign not on... so much for coal, but for what? gas? Yes, I do believe that we should still be, we should still be fracking and grabbing that out of the ground and that sort of stuff because it does produce electricity at a lower carbon price than Slightly. What coal is. It's not lunacy though, Scott. Oh, be it is sort of lunacy be because when you do the sums, what you can generate from renewables, yeah, is, I is agree. Quite Renew renew. To supply our grid is very feasible. Yes, and I agree wholeheartedly with that. I agree that we should be we should be we should be doing everything we can with renewables here in this country, and that's why I was very pleased that we're building the, well, I think will be the second largest pumped hydro dam in Australia up here in Queensland. What mm. what we need to do is have another government review into nuclear power, spend huge amounts of money to private consultancy firms. 30 years down the track, still be wedded to coal uh, and gas because we've actually not done anything. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I believe that's the liberal way, isn't it? You can't say the Greens were lunatics. Like they were just like because they weren't saying let's close every coal mine and gas I, field tomorrow. No, I but what they were saying, the, what they were saying was that there shouldn't be any new ones. Well, and that's, that's not I, that's not lunacy, no. Scott. I, but but what, I think, it's not lunacy, what I think they I, didn't say was, "Hey, regional Australia, here's our plan for the future." Yeah. All of these current mining jobs that your towns are reliant on, this mm-hmm. is what we're going to replace them with. Here's the money we're going to invest in retraining you. Here's all the infrastructure we're going to build to replace these coal and gas mines. They might have. I don't know. I didn't. They, they, they didn't. Place and that was the problem. Right. I, I think people were going, well, you're just going to kill my way of life and you haven't yeah. offered me anything in return. Mm-hmm. Which is precisely why Bob Brown's caravan of lunacy up to the Carmichael yeah. coal mine was crazy, yeah. you know, because they went out there and basically spat in their face and said, well, you know, you've got to stop digging this stuff out of the ground. Yeah. That was a basket of deplorables moment mm-hmm. for sure. It I was. Think, I think the Greens avoided that in the last election, last federal election. Well, they did. that was a, yeah. So that was. You know, and, you know, and now had there been actual had there been teal independence and that sort of stuff running up here, then I don't think they would have picked up those three Brisbane seats. They would have gone to the teals. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, it, you know, this budget, you know, there'll be some tinkering at the edges. It looks like, you know, there'll be money thrown at people for help them with their electricity bills and other bits and pieces. And, you know, you'll sort of yeah, a billion dollars here and a billion dollars there, but nothing we'll, fundamental. We'll, Pay electricity money to the providers. Mm. It will carry on making huge profit, but we won't actually tax them anymore. Yeah. Mm. And they'll tinker with things like rent assistance rather than, rather than actually dealing with the issue of why mm-hmm. property prices are so high and rents are so high. Mm. It will be sort of throwing a bit of loose change at renters without addressing the issue. So, yeah, I went back and looked at that report. That, you remember there was the economist who came on, was talking about property development? That I had, that I interviewed. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Prosper. Yeah. Carl, yeah. Yes. Yep. And they were talking about Springfield Lakes, or Springfield, right. mm-hmm. uh, which is a suburb of Western Brisbane out towards Ipswich. Yep. And... It's been on the go for 20 years, and if it carries on being developed at the same rate, it's going to be another 43 years before yep. they've sold off all the land. that They have planning permission to, to develop, but they have no incentive to, to develop it because then their property prices drop. Correct. You drip feed yeah. rather than, yeah, that was the whole point of his report. Yeah. So... There's all sorts of issues like that where you should use it or lose it. If you've received an approval, then do it within a certain period of time. Otherwise, it's gone. And they're talking things... about taxing unoccupied properties. Yes. So yep. you pay higher rates if your property is unoccupied. Yep. Yep. The other one would be taxing higher if, you, if you're renting it on short-term Airbnb yes. <laughs> rates. It's probably a good idea. As well, because people are just pulling properties, say on the Gold Coast, out of what would have been permanent rentals and putting it just on the Airbnb system. And that's just another reason why there isn't properties around for families or anybody to to rent on a permanent basis because it's all converted to Airbnb. So different tax rates could do the job, but there'll be nothing adventurous or meaningful in the budget like that. It'll just be a bit of throwing of loose change to say they've tried to do something. So they've got a talking point. It's pretty small beans, I'd say. So so in the chat room, Anne said that I reckon they'll take reversing the stage three tax cuts to the next election. I think you're probably right, Anne. So, and John agrees. So just a bit more. Well, well yeah, they don't have to they actually, one would hope they actually go to an election after tonight. And they actually mm. says, look, we don't like these taxes. We've got to, we've got to actually, because we went to the last election agreeing with them and that sort of stuff, we've got no choice but to go back to people and we've got to reverse these stage three tax cuts. So we're going to have an election. Mm. They'll I think win it was that. a non-core promise. 
Well, I well you can it change. A That's, it was a non-core. It was a non-core yeah. promise, so I think that they could get rid of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those things that Albanese has tried to paint himself as a trustworthy politician. So I don't think he's actually going to reverse them right now. But mm. I understand where you're coming from, Anne and John, but going to an election promising an increase in income tax, yeah, it's it's a hell yeah, of a lot harder. Just, it's a hell of a lot harder to actually promise an increase in income tax than it is to walk away from reversing one right now. Sorry, Trevor, what were you going to say? Well, if they've got any salesmanship, it should be easy. It should be easy to say to the majority of Australians, "Yeah, good." Here's point. an idea. Why don't if the you top end of town get out of politics? Honestly, yeah. if you can't Why don't the sell top that, end of town pay their share, we're going to increase their tax yeah. to and pay for those people who are poorer. If if you are a Labor Party person and you're in power and you can't you can't go to an election with that because you're too scared, just give in. Give in. So I think you're right, in. I'll do it then. But uh, yeah. So Guy Rundle writing in Crikey talked about the Labor rusted oms and he says, the political stakes for Labor were high in the lead up to 2022, but the existential stakes for the leadership were higher still. Loss in 2022 would have made their lives not merely failures, but a bit of a cosmic joke. He goes on to say, that they were so shit scared of losing in 2022 that they were just prepared to sell their souls on anything just to get power. And he's probably right. I think he's right there. Yeah. They, were, they were thinking if we have to spend another three years in opposition and lose this election, life's not worth living anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think he's right. I don't but, know. Um, Rupert's got to die at some stage. Yeah. So he said, no, 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 better to wage a sustained double-level campaign against your own membership. Convince them that you're faking a total rightward shift to appease prosperous outer bourbon voters and news corps when you're actually making a total rightward shift and your members are the useful idiots. <laughs> so, yeah, that was good. It's, yeah, tell the membership you're faking a move to the right to please the... Uh, the outer bourbon voters, but you're actually making a rightward shift and it's the members who are the useful idiots. And he's saying, so this has transpired and the rusted ons of the first order now face a choice that is barely a choice, either support the party or it goes on. So, yeah, so that was Guy Rundle in Crikey and, yeah, we'll see what happens in the budget. Now, Scott, mm-hmm. Alan Joyce. Yes, so it's pretty pleased that he's leaving. He's leaving Qantas. And analysts have estimated, dear listener, that Qantas will be spending $12.3 billion on upgrading its fleet with choice, having not paid for one single new aircraft in his 15 years as CEO. Can you believe it? He never paid for a new aircraft in 15 years. That's bad. Yeah, I know. And why would you when you're set up with a remuneration structure where you yeah. just gouge the shit out of a company, maximise profits without concern for the long-term viability of the company, just meet short-term KPIs, and, and that's what he's done. Joyce will walk away after 15 years. He will have gathered $125 million dollars. In 15 years. That's something under 10,000 a year, so come on. It's not that much. Just a touch under 10 10 million million a year. Yes. A year. Yeah, you know, that's around about 10% of the $12.3 billion that he should have spent upgrading his fleet. Just uh, Why would he do that? Yeah. Why would because he? you know it's it's one of those things. I remember when I was at university, there was a there was a simple question that was put to us in a management accounting do, to do you exam. depress your share price no, for the betterment I'm, of the company, or, or do listen. you keep it high so you get better? <laughs> no, just listen. the The exam question was: the chickens come home to roost. Discuss. Now, what you've got to do with that is you've got to discuss the problems with delaying maintenance and all that type of thing. 
Now, why the chickens come home to roost is if you don't maintain anything, it goes down and down and down and ends up failing. Mm. So that's where they were saying that this sort of short-term nonsense of remunerating people based on their on the company profit leads to disastrous decisions like this. Alan Joyce is walking away with $125 million. And he's got $12.3 billion worth of, worth of jets to pay for once he's gone. So See, why money. was this allowed to happen by the other members of the leadership? The, God knows. The chairman and the board. I don't know. I don't well, know. See, what you do in the UK is what you do is you take a monopoly, you run it into the ground, and then you turn around to the government and you say, it'd be a shame if anything happens to that. Mm. And then you get money from the government to bail you out for the infrastructure that you didn't invest in. Mm. This article that will be in the show notes from Crikey just says at the end, uh, Joyce brought his fellow directors ever-increasing board payments while the ah. wages of other employees were systematically slashed. So you scratch so, my back and I'll So it would yours. not surprise if the other senior executives in the company were very well remunerated during his tenure and it's like, well, the company might be going to shit, but hey, with this guy here, my packet, pay packet's gone skyrocketing, selfish motives, personal pay packet, overriding good of the company, too bad for the shareholders in the long term. Mm. Um, shareholders in the short term may be okay, but so short-sighted. So he was incredibly short-sighted. There's a replacement of Vanessa Hudson. Yeah. Uh, she's been with the company for 28 years, so mm -hmm. she'd hardly be a, fresh, a, a breath of fresh air. It looks like they've probably replaced her because, well, I'm not going to say she's a clone of Alan Joyce because there's only one Alan Joyce, but um, mm. it wouldn't surprise me if that was what was going through their mind. An engineer told Crikey, the 787 cabins are atrocious for such new aircraft due to the Los Angeles facility still being a basket case. The situation with the domestic workhorse 737 also continues to deteriorate as Qantas awaits replacement planes from Airbus, whose orders were delayed time and again by management, according to people in operations who described the fleet as a disaster. There we go. A friend of mine flew back to England a, a month ago from Brisbane, mm. and he turned up, I don't know, three hours early for his flight, which was 10 a.m. Uh, they finally said... Oh yeah, we were missing a part. It, yeah, basically something had broken down because it wasn't well maintained. By the time they've flown the part in, the aircrew had been on standby for too long and had to go off shift. Mm. So they had to pull in an alternate crew. They had to pull someone up from Melbourne, so they had to fly them up on that. Yep. So they didn't fly into Singapore until that evening. Put them up in a hotel overnight, and he didn't. It took him 61 hours to get home, he said. Yeah. Yeah. It had such a good reputation. Yeah. And, uh, and this, it's not just Qantas, this happens a lot. Senior executives, CEOs get paid enormous sums of money, way more than is justified, and do really shitty jobs. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it just keeps happening and happening. And, you know, they passed laws about remuneration packages that was supposed to deal with this, where there would be, had to be passed at, at shareholder meetings. And if it, if it didn't pass the first time, then the, the next time positions would be up for a spill at the board or something like that. But it was never, it was never enough. It was not strong enough. And different players, superannuation sort of groups, it's too clubby. There's too much major shareholding, too much where small groups of mates, people who know each other, are involved in these things. So they're prepared to pass these ridiculous remuneration packages. So a blight to be solved by somebody. Bet you this Labor government doesn't do it, <laughs> but we'll see. Now, apparently, while well, Scott rummages in his esky, Actually, there was a good joke there when I mentioned. I was going to grab a beer. <laughs> yeah, when I mentioned how much Alan Joyce was getting paid, one hundred twenty-five million over fifteen years, 
essential Lord Don in the chat room said he won't be able to put that in the overhead locker. <laughs> Good one, essential Lord Don. And all right. Scott Morrison has been looking for a new job. And the word is he might have found one. It's all a bit sort of unnamed sources talking about stuff. But it looks like potentially he's got a job with a UK defence company. So sometime between now and the end of the year, it seems he'll possibly go to the most obvious candidate being BAE Systems, the largest defence contractor in Europe and the seventh largest in the world. And uh, British Aerospace, isn't it? Mm -hmm. mm. There we go. So the CEO of Transparency International told Crikey Australia should be very concerned that he would get a job with a UK defence company. He was at the heart of setting up AUKUS and as a result would have sensitive information and contacts in the government that will give his potential employer a head start for any contract. And the same group published a report in 2000, that's a long time ago, recommending that Australia adopt, uh, adopt an enforceable minimum three-year cooling off or anti-revolving door period before a former minister can accept an appointment like this. In Canada, the period is five years. So, look, there's a really good article by Jack Waterford in the John Menadue blog, and what he's saying is that it's shameful and unseemly for ministers former ministers and former prime ministers to go and work for, say, like Scott Morrison here, with a UK company that's looking at forming contracts with Australia, he, he would have inside knowledge of Australian policy, procedures, people, and will help a foreign company get a higher profit margin and a bigger contract and potentially to the detriment of Australia because of his inside knowledge of Australia. Would and, you be fine if it was an Australian company, though? Well, at least the profits would stay in Australia, but he's really helping a foreign entity in its negotiations with Australia. And it's incredibly, when you've been well paid with a pension, Go and find another job of some other description, one that doesn't involve such a conflict of interest. So in this article by Jack Waterford, he says, a fellow does have a right to make a quit after being in politics, but why do so many seem to think that the ideal business to go into is the business of influencing former colleagues, using the access their former public service has given them to those who make decisions and their own close knowledge and experience of the practical ways of pulling the levers of executive government on behalf of paying clients. These clients are usually seeking a favour, a privilege, or the exercise of a discretion. And he goes on about Christopher Pine has been shameless in the way that he's gathered top defence figures from here and abroad into a business to lobby Australian government on behalf of defence equipment makers to provide consultancy services, offering allegedly disinterested defence advice. And no doubt, as with all big consultancy companies, he will soon have Chinese walls and separate units not speaking to each other. He'll have one group advising government about what they need, another group lobbying to have it made a high priority matter, and another arranging the tender process on behalf of the government another one resolving who won the tender, and then another one writing independent reports about the efficiency and effectiveness of the new operation. So the reason is because the politicians are career politicians. They, they don't have a trade. Yes. It's, it's not like they're going to leave politics and go and do something that they did Useful. in their former life. Yeah. Yes. But they're paid enough that they don't have to have a... And they could they're not paid enough. Something that in, their in their retirement, they are. And then in their no 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 they're they're not paid millions. Mm. They they can make a shitload more money doing this. Well, they can all make more money. That's for sure. But yeah, exactly. Um, so they're not paid enough. Yeah, if they can make more money. They're not paid enough. Enough is never enough. For exactly. These guys, that's yeah. the problem. So, you know, plenty of work that they could do that doesn't 
rely on them. Maybe there isn't plenty of work in the case of Scott Morrison. What you wouldn't even put him in charge of a second-hand car yard, would you? But no, I, I don't know. An idiot. I, I think we'd put him out on a croc farm feeding the crocs. Y- yes, short of chickens. Ah, it's a good article. It goes on, basically saying enough is enough with this. It should be shameful for these people, but they just go ahead and do it. And you know, it annoyed me. Like when Pine quit, does his biography. Then he's on 7.30, getting a softball interview from Lee, what was her name? Lee Sales. Yeah. Oh, jokey, jokey, Christopher Pine, funny guy, blah, blah. And meanwhile, he's just doing this sort of stuff. So there's no help from independent, so-called independents like ABC. I saw Christopher Pine over in Singapore airport on my way to Hong Kong recently. Right. Yeah. I said, would you be Mr. Pine, would you? He said, yes, I am. So, yeah. And that was that? Yeah. He was on his way back to Australia from the west coast of the US. He had been over there, presumably something to do with AUKUS. Okay. Was he taller or shorter than you expected, Scott? Uh, He was sitting down at the time, so I couldn't actually comment on his his height. There we go. Okay. He certainly got a lot greyer than what I remember. Mm -hmm. But then again, so have I. Yes. Yeah. So, all right. One of the main things I had, here's a couple of other ideas. Bernie Sanders in the US said that the US government should confiscate 100% of money that Americans make above $999 million. In theory, yes, but the problem is that's not income tax. That's not income. Mm. That's, that's assets which are generally shares, how do you work out the assets? What I, happens if there's stuff you confiscate, the remaining amount drops by 50% because the share prices are wiped out? Oops, sorry. <laughs> put, I'll put it in the government hands. Put it in government ownership. Oh, and these people are too powerful. Pa- these it, oligarchs I, I, are too powerful. We yeah, should not I, have I, people with $1,000 million. It's too much. Well, they, they should Reinhardt. have as much much money as a small as any U.S. state. Yes, it's dangerous. It's too too much power when you've got. Are that you many... talking about a wealth tax or are you talking about an income tax? It wasn't clear actually from this article, but I just like uh, the idea of one hundred percent when you yeah, say that. There's, it, you reach a point. If with... it is an income tax, I agree wholeheartedly with him. If it's a if it's a wealth tax, no, I don't. Uh, I have actually come around to the idea of taxing people based on their wealth, mm. but I don't, I don't agree with a hundred percent of it being confiscated above a billion dollars. Why not? I think if you've got, if you've got a billion dollars or more, that's fine, but it goes up so that if you make, if you've got a billion dollars this year, that's fine. If you've got a billion and two dollars, a billion and one, one, $1.1 billion the next year, you got to give back, I don't know. 20, 30% of that to the government. So you actually have it going up. So if you end up going to $1.5 billion, then you've got to give back 40%. If you go up to 1.6, you've got to give back 50%. Of the 1.5? No, of the over the $1 billion mark. Why does anyone need a billion dollars though? Well, they don't, but you've got to, you've got to set something up that actually gives think, into this rela- insane what's the worst thing what's the, idea that we all have that we're all going to be billionaires one day because we're not. I, what's why, the worst do, thing that could happen if uh, if after a billion dollars people can't make any more? What's the, what's the worst thing that could happen? Nothing's going to happen. So, so hang on. Why, why don't we just take anyone who's got over a billion dollars, shoot them, and take all of them? Well, because that would be wrong. But that introduces a whole range of other things. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. You know, but, you've but Scott, got yeah. What, what's what is the problem? Will billionaires suddenly stop working? No, you know, they won't. They will still keep. They will still the keep world working. Will turn exactly the same. Exactly, it will. And they will just, just have one of those less things. power. Yes, I agree. So I just think that I just There's think no that you should moderate it by saying instead of having to give up a hundred percent of everything over a billion dollars, you've got to give up. You know, if you've got $1.1 billion, you've got to give up $20 million. If you've got $1.4 billion, you've got to give up 40, you've got to give up $30 billion, $30 million and so on and so forth. 
that that would be the way I would actually structure a wealth tax. What's the current top rate of tax in Australia? Uh, 47% plus, yeah. plus, so, plus so the, Medicare levy. So the ballpark so. you're giving here is a lower tax rate mm-hmm. than the top marginal rate in Australia at the moment. This is for a wealth tax, which is a right. very different tax than what you're talking about. Income tax, right. I agree with you. It should yeah. be. But, but given that you most, should actually do it at that rate. But given that with most billionaires tax, can convert their income into capital gains, so they'll never pay, they'll never really earn income. Like a guy like Jeff Bezos, mm. really his income would be is, negligible is, in comparison to his. A year. So why would we consider wealth, you know, different to income for a guy like that who's basically just avoids income and it's Mm -hmm. all capital gain. You might have me there. I'm going to think about that. Because his income is negligible. Yeah. Yeah, I know his income is negligible and I agree. Because all are owned in trust. His, his, His private jets are owned in trust. Yeah, everything's in trust. Yeah, I agree, which is where it's wrong. And they've got to actually, they should actually say, look, you are now worth this amount of money. Therefore, you've got to start handing out, handing over a significant portion of this to the federal government every year. But you know what? The beauty of a hundred percent basically says you're dangerous and we consider you dangerous and, and not good for public policy, not good for our civilization. That so much money is actually dangerous and it sends a better signal, I reckon, than saying, oh, your fair share of tax is X amount, when really the argument is, at this point, you're a dangerous individual. Yeah, and I'm even, so Bill and Melinda Gates have given up mm. whatever it is, half their wealth to the yes. trust, mm. which is, yeah, it's great. It's altruistic. But the problem is they set the priorities. Yes. It, it's not down to the needs of the people. It's it's whatever catches his whim at the time. Yeah, right. which has basically been Malaria vaccination and that type yeah. of thing. Malaria yeah. is one yeah. of them. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what I'm yeah. saying is it's a bad thing rather than him handing the money over to the WHO and going, all right, guys, spend this where you need this. Yes. Indeed. Yeah, good point. So anyway, I think I just like that Bernie Sanders has just gone for the full 100%. Yeah, I know. And I just think to myself, Bernie's out for a headline more than anything else. Right. You know. Yeah. No, with a bit of luck, the Greens will take that up in the next election. Sorry. Yeah. We'll see. Anne says, get rid of trust laws. Yeah. Well, yes. I agree with it. It is wrong that you've got a, you know, well, my family's got a family trust too. And, mm. you know, it's... Uh, it's just a tax dodge for rich... Absolutely, well, it was. It was, yeah. you know, do you know what corporate trustee of our family trust is? Tefco, tax evading family company, Friday Limited. That's going to say, is dad, that right? Yes, that's what it is. Is. there's an honesty to that, Scott. Yes, there is an honesty to that. And that, it's just Tefco. one of those things. It's, it's one of those things that you just think to yourself, okay, you know, I think to myself, you know, my family has had it very good for a very long time. It's yeah, one of those things. I just think to myself, we should yep. now actually give that up. Yeah, Dad, Dad had a trust because he was an auditor, and you cannot have a limited liability company do an audit. Mm. You have to be personally responsible. Mm. Right. And so he moved all of his assets into a trust so exactly. that if he was ever sued... Yep. Which is basically what my old man was doing too. He had most of his assets in the trust too. Yeah. And and it's been interesting. I did see a, an article that said effectively limited liability companies have led to a lot of dodgy dealings because if you can just dissolve your company and fire up a new one, you can phoenix it basically mm. and you're left with no liability. It's... It enables you to take bigger risks yep. at the expense of other people. Mm. Mm. True. Hey, Scott, seeing your family has done so well over the years, hmm. here's, here's an opportunity to compare yourselves 
I did be... actually look at that and that sort of stuff and I'm slap bang in the middle of everything. I didn't make it. I didn't, as, as an individual, I didn't make a hell of a lot. Yeah. yeah. So this is prepared by the Grattan Institute and it is about how much average ordinary Australians earn in different age brackets and how much they, they own as well. So let's go through a few. So now th- let's look at workers, for example. So as a, uh, as people can earn income who are not workers, like they might have some retirement income or something like that. So dear listener, in all of this, as we're about to talk about it, you've got the you've got the mean and you've got the median. So, as an average, the mean is where, say, for example, income. You would add up all the income of all Australians, and you divide it by the number of Australians, get your mean. The other way is to line up all of your Australians from the poorest to the riches, richest. And walk along the line and stop at the halfway point. And what we often see in these statistics is that the mean is a relatively high figure compared to the median. And the reason for that is the people at the top end have an inordinately high amounts, which skews the mean to the higher level. So, so back to these figures. Just dealing with adults, the average income is fifty-eight thousand two hundred thirty-eight, but the median is forty-two thousand and twenty-seven. So that's in terms of total income for adults. Now that that includes people who aren't working, for example. So amongst workers, uh, full-time working adults. So employee earnings, full-time adults. The average is 97,439. The median is 84,628. So, so that's, that's the typical. If you are a full-time adult and you're earning 124,000, then you're in the top 20%. And if you're earning 154,000, you're in the top 10%. So... And in this figures, which is in the show notes, it shows it for households and other categories. And the other one I thought was interesting in these, what they've prepared here is, is net wealth, how much you own. And interesting one for superannuation here because they've broken it up into age-based stuff. So let's go for, in superannuation, for people in the sort of, 41 to 64-year-old age bracket, the, the average is 310000 in superannuation household. Actually, I'll do it on individuals, sorry. Back to individuals, 41 to 64-year-old, the average superannuation amount is 176000 but the median is only 90000 So. If you're a younger person, the the average is forty six thousand. So this is a twenty five to forty year old. The median is only twenty five thousand. If you're retired, an individual, you're sixty five or over, the average superannuation is hundred is only one hundred seventy one thousand, and the typical is zero. The actual median is zero. So. Retired individuals, 65 and older, line them up from the one with the lowest superannuation to the one with the highest, walk along the line, and when you get to the halfway point, that person's got zero. That was an interesting figure, that one, I thought. So lots of people, elderly, who don't have any superannuation. Yeah. So that's in the show notes. And you can see, oh, maybe there was one other that might have been interesting was home equity. Scott, this is the one where you're going to be doing very well. Home equity, households. Why are you trying to make me feel bad about my real estate investments? Because <laughs> I love the way that, that Landon called you the slumlord. Was it Landon called you the slumlord of... No, I, I called myself the slumlord of okay. central Queensland. So. Mm. Let's look at middle-aged, 41 to 64. That's you, Scott. 
Yes, I know. Mm. And it's actually a bit lower it's than what average. I have actually got. So anyway. Home equity average level is 508,000. The top 25% of 650, top 95%, you would have 1.3 in household equity. Anyway, if you're out there, if you're 41 to 64 and you've got household equity of 1.3 million, you're in the top 5% when it comes to that. So, so basically everybody in Sydney and Melbourne. Well, it's equity. So how big is the mortgage? Because this is Well, after, yeah, but I mean, if yeah. they're 41 to 64, yeah. they haven't been divorced. Mm. You're guessing that they bought a house in their 20s. Mm. So the house they bought in their 20s was worth a lot less. Yes. I'm guessing that they've probably got a million in equity. Probably, yes. Yeah. The problem is, if you live in Sydney or Melbourne or Sydney, you need the house to live in. So having all that money locked up is of no use unless you're going to sell it and move to somewhere cheaper. Tree change when you retire. Yeah. Yeah. Hence all the Mexicans. Yeah, that's right. They're all here. Right. Hello to James who joined us in the chat room and Andrew and Noisy Andrew. Good on you. That was good. We've had some people in the chat room. Um, what else have we got? I think, guys, that's that's about it, unless you had something that you wanted to add. All good? No, I don't think so. Mm. We've okay. covered most of it all. All right. Next I'll week. Go back now and listen to the budget. Okay. Yeah. Next week might be something different because I've just got to do a demo for a client, which is sort of an after hours thing, and I don't think I'll be able to finish it and get back in front of a microphone to do something live, but we might be later time. It might be 8.30 rather than 7.30. We'll see. Look at the Facebook page and see what announcements are made. Not sure what I'll do, make our minds up as we get closer to that one. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you in the chat room for your comments. Very good as always. Gentlemen and everybody else out there, talk to you next week. Bye for now. And it's a good night from me. And it's a good night from him. Good night.